John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. There's Bibles in the seats if you don't have one of your own. We're reflecting this morning on what Jesus experienced and suffered during the last hours of his life. Uh, Pat has given us this poem to help us, to lead us in doing that. And in the poem, she personalizes it and she reflects on what it means for her. And she picks up the popular line of, of the, the, the hymn that we just sang, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? God, die. Jesus is God. And how could God die? Why would God die? If God dies, what does that say about what God is like? If God dies for me and for you, what does that say about us? This is some of what today's passage in John 13 is is reflecting on. And so I thought it'd be good to spend some time um, in that passage this morning. Right at the beginning of, of the passage... John, who tells this story, orients us as to what's going to happen in that upper room and where it falls in the bigger story of Scripture. And and John does this in two ways. First, in a broad focus of where what happens in the upper room falls in the larger story of God's work in the world through all of history. And then in the narrow focus, where that story falls in the life of Jesus. So verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival, John tells us. And Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And then in verse 2, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. So broad focus, it was just before the Passover festival. In John's gospel, almost every important event in Jesus' ministry is attached to one of the great Jewish festivals. Why? Because for John, each feast, each festival points to Jesus as its fulfillment. In the Jewish mind, each great feast pointed both back and forward. Back to what God had accomplished for his people in the past and forward to what they were trusting and longing for God to do again in the future. In the case of the Passover festival, it reminds the Jews of how God saved them in the past. Through the Exodus, through Moses, God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt through ten plagues and then the miracle at the Red Sea. God had brought them out of slavery and out of bondage. And so they remembered that, and also they, and they do remember that. And then also looking forward, the Jews at, at Jesus' time anticipated and longed for a new exodus, a, a great deliverance, and many Jews still long for that today. It was just before the Passover festival, John tells us. John is saying here in this story that we're reading this morning that we are going to learn something new about what it means for God to set us free. We're going to see in a new way through what Jesus is about to do how we can be free again and finally. That's the broad focus. 
Then narrow focus. John tells us in verse 1, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And that leaving and that going is what we just reflected on through Pat's poem. It's the story of how Jesus left this world and went to the Father. And, and so right now in today's passage, the hour has come. We're right on the cusp of all of that that was recounted for us in the poem being set into motion. So why? Why is Jesus going to go through all that he's about to go through? All that he's about to endure? Who is this Jesus? Why is he going through this? What does it all mean? That's what today's passage is about. In it, Jesus gives us an enacted parable of what his agony in the garden and his arrest and his trial and conviction and his suffering and his death on a cross are all about. At this point of the story, Jesus is in the upper room enjoying a special meal with his closest followers. And what Jesus does is is he gets up from the table where he is, is the head, the honored one at the meal, and he stoops down and he takes the low place of a servant and he washes his disciples' feet, his followers' feet. Not only was this a lowly task in that culture, but it was among the lowest of tasks. So low that only slaves did it if you had slaves. And among slaves, only the lowest of the slaves had to do it. Yet Jesus does it to picture vividly what he's about to do for his followers in the hours that will follow as he leaves this world and goes back to his Father. What Jesus is going to do is to reveal to us in a new and deeper way what God is like. And what Jesus reveals completely blows me away. It's not what I'm expecting. And I think Jesus' followers down through the ages and still today are still trying to get our minds and our hearts around it. Look at verse 2. It's, it's key to understanding this story. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew Jesus knew the Father had put all things under His power. Jesus knew He had come from God. Jesus knew He was returning to God. Now, imagine with me for a minute if this was you. You know that you've come from God. You know that you're returning to God. You know that you have all power. Everything has been put under your control. And you have this moment to show everyone what God is like. What would you do? How would you show? Would you rain down feelings of love all over the people in the room? Would you paint majestic, splendorous sights above their heads? Would you do some great and powerful miracle? Or would you make yourself shine with glorious splendor? How would you show them what God is like 
in one dramatic act. Well, look what Jesus chooses to do. Verse 4. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothes, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Can you believe it? This is what it looks like to be God? This is what it means to have all power, to be the greatest being in the universe? To willingly step into betrayal, into agony, into trial, into mockery and torture and suffering and death? This is what it means to be great? This is what it means to show what God is like? This is what it means for a new Passover to come? For God to once again come down and rescue his people, freeing them from bondage and captivity? If this is what it means, then we have to rethink everything. If the cross portrayed in the foot washing is what it means to be God, if the cross is what it means to be great and powerful, then we have to rethink everything. If you're like me, you read this story and, and as you reflect on, on who Jesus is, come down from heaven and, and how he has all power, the power of God himself, and then you realize what Jesus does with that power, you think, what a paradox. How at odds. The, the great Lord of all takes the, the posture of a servant. How contradictory. But that's just where we go wrong. That's just where this passage is trying to change our thinking. Because according to this passage, for God to wash feet is not a paradox. For God to wash feet is not contradictory. For God to wash feet is not at odds. No, for God to suffer and die on a cross is perfectly natural, perfectly in line with who God is. For God, amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, should die for me, is just the kind of amazing love which is who God is. In stooping down to wash feet, in stooping down to suffer and die on a cross, Jesus is not contradicting or reversing what it means to be God. Rather, Jesus is demonstrating and revealing what it has always meant to be God. Listen to how the preacher Daryl Johnson puts this. He, more than anyone else, has helped me to, to fully see what's going on in this passage. He says, It is because Jesus is Lord that he humbles himself and washes his disciples' feet. Not in spite of being Lord, but because he is Lord. Our idea of God may be greatness. It may be to be high and lifted up and to enjoy privileges others don't have. To sit back in heaven while others serve us. But that is not God's idea of being God. That's what Jesus wants us to know as he stoops down to wash feet. 
He's showing us what God is like in that moment and the moments that will follow as Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus is turning everything upside down for us or rather turning everything right side up for us so we who are made in God's image can know who the God is in whose image we are made. Let me give you another way to think about this. If God is the one who makes and holds together the universe, if God was here before the universe, and God knows it all and upholds it all with all power, and if Jesus came down to show us what God is like, then in today's passage, Jesus is showing us what is at the heart and foundation of the universe. Jesus is showing us how to get in sync with life, with reality, with the universe. We may think, and the scientists keep telling us, that at its very essence, the universe is comprised of matter and even more so, energy. And if we can master that matter and that energy, if we can make it work for us better, it will lead to progress and betterment. No, Jesus tells us, that's only a partial truth because at the heart, at the foundation of the universe is God sacrificing God's own self for us in love. Let me say that again. At the heart, at the foundation of the universe is God sacrificing God's own self for us in love. At the heart of the universe, the foundation, the ground of all things, it is not matter, it is not energy, it is love. Self-sacrificing love. Get in sync with that. Master that love and it will lead to progress and betterment for this world. Well, Jesus' disciples in the upper room that night, they can't grasp it. It's too much for them to get a hold of. Do you relate to them? <laughs> and Peter, one of Jesus' followers who always blurts out what everyone else is thinking, he says, verse 8, No, you shall never wash my feet. No, Lord, you are the great one. I'm under you, as are the others. It's not right for you to lower yourself and serve me. But how does Jesus reply? Unless I wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. Remember, Jesus is, is talking about much more than giving them clean feet. He's talking about the way of the cross that he's about to walk. He's talking about God dying for Peter and for us in self-sacrificing love. Peter, unless I suffer and die for you, you have no part with me. Unless your God, in amazing love, lowers himself and dies for you, unless I show you what it means to be great, to have all power, to be God, unless I show you my way of being God, you have no part with me. You'll have missed what I'm all about. Unless you allow the amazing love I'm going to demonstrate to touch you, to impact you, to embrace you, to turn your world upside down. Unless you let me do that for you, you don't yet understand God. And you have no part with God. 
You won't know the freedom, the deliverance of Passover, Jesus says. John says by implication. And get this, you'll be living profoundly out of sync with the universe and with reality itself. Because the foundation and the essence of the universe is self-sacrificing love. Which is why when we try to live our life on our own and make the world work on our own, apart from God and apart from love, in our own strength, by looking out for ourselves and putting ourselves first, the world does not work very well. Have you noticed? Let's pray. As we pray, I want to invite us to consider what God is saying to us. What do you hear God saying to you this morning? And I want to invite us to to think about that in two ways. One is, what do you hear God saying to you about receiving God's love? What is God offering you this morning? I'll give you just a second to think about that. What is God saying to you about what God is offering you this morning? And then second, what is God saying to you about what you have to offer? What is God saying to you about your sharing God's love with others? I'll give you a moment to think about that as well. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, have died for me? God, our hearts are in so many ways bent toward self and the world around us encourages us to focus on ourselves. And so we find your amazing act of revealing what you're really like to be jolting and jarring for us. And yet, for many of us who've been following Jesus for some time, we know that it's right. (laughs) We know that it's the way of life. And I pray that once again, as you have done for us before, that you would shift our hearts. First of all, to receive and to depend on your love. To receive it joyfully. In a way that will transform us so much that we then will become more loving more willing to take up a towel and a basin for the sake of the people around us. Whether they deserve it or not is not the point. The point is that we are made in your image, made to love others like you've loved us. God, that is a work beyond us. It's a work of your touch, of your spirit in our hearts. And I pray that you would continue that work in us today and through the rest of our lives. We know the world so desperately needs people who will love in this way.
In Jesus' name, amen.